0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. My favorite thing about working in healthcare is the people. This industry brings together brilliant, highly motivated individuals who are driven by the opportunity to make a difference. My name is Hallie Tecco, and this is the heart of healthcare, a podcast where I'll be introducing you to the people on the ground, moving the needle in public health and medicine. Women control 80% of healthcare decisions in the U.S. At an individual level, studies have shown that women utilize more healthcare services. In fact, We are 76% more likely than men to have visited a doctor within the last year. At the family level, women are more likely to be the primary caretakers of the family, making appointments and healthcare purchasing decisions on behalf of partners, children, and parents. We even pick up 70% of prescriptions at the drugstores. Simply put, we are the chief medical officers of the home. Yet many of us feel that we are not heard by the traditional medical system. One in five women report having felt a healthcare provider has ignored or dismissed their symptoms, and 45% of women said they have been labeled as chronic complainers. Women generally have less favorable opinions about their health insurance compared to men, and we feel generally less favorable towards healthcare organizations we have to deal with. Moreover, women's health founders, including myself, have heard over and over again that women's health as an industry is just too niche. Could it be because our healthcare system has largely been built and controlled by men? Well, today's guest is changing that. Julia Cheek is a unicorn in the world of healthcare. She's one of the few women who has built a multi billion dollar healthcare company from scratch. Actually, she's one of the few people who have built a multi billion dollar healthcare company from scratch. Everly Health's mission is to deliver better care for better health by providing modern, diagnostics-driven care. Women's Health was the inspiration for starting the EverlyWell brand in 2015 and remains a key area of focus. Although the company now has tests for almost every age and stage, EverlyWell was initially started as a women's health testing company and now even operates a 50-state clinician network to provide telehealth services for a wide range of clients, including many of the largest health plans in the nation. I met Julia in business school and was fortunate to be one of her first investors. And now we work together because her company, Everly Health, recently doubled down on women's health by acquiring my company, Natalist. Julia, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here, and this just feels like a really special moment to do this podcast together.
0: It does. The timing is great. So I thought we could start at the beginning, and you could tell us how your own experience and perception of women's challenges with our current healthcare system shaped your thinking about development early on at Everly Health.
1: Absolutely, and I love this question because when I started Everly Well in 2015, I knew that I was starting the company based on a problem that I had. And when I was able to tell the story, and I tell this founding story all the time, and certainly in in large groups of people pre-pandemic and now on Zoom, I'm able to see the acknowledgement that uh, almost everyone has encountered something similar in testing. And it's such an appreciation for um, my own experience being something that so many people can relate to. And, you know, I was in my late 20s, had a great corporate job, had what I thought was good, really good, uh, quote, high deductible health plan, these newfangled uh, plans, insurance. And I had a bunch of unexplainable symptoms that were quite serious. And I think what's important in this narrative is I had a lot of doctors, many different specialists on my odyssey who really cared about getting me the help that I needed. But in order to do that, they had to each go through a disconnected analysis of my symptoms, order their own, uh, sometimes very complex and esoteric tests. And all of this had to be coordinated by me in the center, sometimes getting results, sometimes not, always getting a bill for whatever was or wasn't covered under whatever particular uh, deductible or out-of-pocket cost I needed to pay. And so all of this um, really came together in this experience where I didn't get the results I needed. I didn't get a diagnosis. The physicians weren't able to help me despite their best efforts. And I still had to pay $2,500 out of pocket. And what I learned about lab testing specifically is it is so essential to getting good healthcare, 70% of diagnoses require a lab test, something really simple. And so the ability for people to have access to, afford, and have digitally enabled convenient testing for both themselves and for their physician's care alike is just an essential part of healthcare. And it had really been behind a curtain. Um, This was 2015, 2016. I mean, this was an area of healthcare that no one had really innovated on what I call the care delivery model of testing. You hear about that a lot in digital health and a lot in other types of primary care or specialty care. You don't hear it hear it about it as much in diagnostics. And that was where I really felt compelled that this was a problem I wanted to work on um, for decades. And so, you know, really transitioned my entire career, my entire professional purpose and life purpose into solving this problem.
0: Well, and what you described is really how our healthcare system has been so paternalistic and having to go through hoops and prove to your physician that you deserve a test or you need a test and being turned down is something that all of us have probably faced. So how do you advocate to empower patients and what sort of pushback have you faced and has that changed during COVID?
1: I think, you know, some of the greatest companies are tied to their founding stories and it's something that I've really worked to create a thread at Everly Well, because as I just mentioned, I started the company based on my own personal experience. And while that has expanded beyond women, it has really been women advocating for both themselves and for their families that I think um, has put pressure on breaking apart the paternalism um, in healthcare. And, you know, as you just said, women are the CMOs of their families and of their own health. And we know through research that one in five women feels that their healthcare providers have ignored or dismissed them. And then more than 40% of women eventually diagnosed with a serious autoimmune disease had at one point been told by a doctor that they were a hypochondriac. And I think these are just a few data points. There's so many, but these are a couple examples of how we see women ignored. And this gets into structural limitations as well. A great example that we really tackled head on starting was bringing a women's health test and a women's fertility test to market. We were first in the country to do so and having a consumer initiated test that was still overseen by a physician, but where women didn't have to wait a year to be diagnosed with quote infertility to then get a hormone test that they could leverage with their physicians and potentially get answers. And that gets repeated. Those structural limitations for diagnosis within women for conditions like infertility, for thyroid disease, it runs the gamut, has actually made its way not just from how physicians view our symptoms, but actually into what's get, what gets diagnosed, what gets covered, what drugs are researched, and in what populations. Um, even all the way down to testing uh, crash test dummies in cars. And so these are pervasive. And it is hard to imagine that we control both the consumer spending economy and the healthcare spending economy and have been so underrepresented um, in the healthcare system. And so when I started Everly Well, our first three tests focused, yes, these were problems that I knew women from call it 25 to 45 had, right? It was around my problem that I then vetted with others. But it was also because in the broader landscape, this is where women were spending money. This is where they were not being heard. And this was where they had a motivation to solve a health problem. Um, and so we, and you know, we really in the beginning um, had to build adjacent to the traditional healthcare market, even though um, we were leveraging physicians and we really were building this, this adjacent system that would then occasionally cross over as people would use these test results with their doctors. And really that has been broken open by the pandemic, which I know we'll get into. And I think we've made a lot of progress in, in joining these systems together in a way that is much better for both physicians and for, and for women overall. Um, but certainly in the beginning, all I heard just like you, Hallie, was this isn't a problem. It's not a problem because it wasn't a problem for the people I was talking
0: to. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's interesting, you know, you mentioned that women are kind of missing, disproportionately missing from leadership in healthcare. What was shocking to me was to see how that is broken down between different healthcare entities and actually venture capital and startups have fewer women than corporate Fortune 500s in healthcare and hospitals. And actually hospitals have the most diversity on their boards and executive teams, And then all the way down to where you would expect, you you would expect startups and VCs to be the most progressive in terms of equity, Um, and and they're just not. It's really disappointing to see that. I think that what you have done and becoming a woman who has faced the nose from investors, from you know the the entire industry in the beginning, and now you've kind of broken through. You've created this company that has. Helped millions of people, have created real enterprise value. It has created a a new model for other women who have just been told no. Because now we can see it. So having you know having role models you can see is really important. So thank you for that. Um, I did want to talk about while our needs have been largely ignored and we have been called hypochondriacs for so long. At the same time, there is a wellness industry that has peddled so much junk science to women, like vaginal eggs, um, the jade eggs, whatever that is. And this has been going on for a a long time. And I'm curious what you think we can do about it and if there's a, a role that we can play as women in healthcare.
1: Well, one of the trends that has really damaged credibility of what I would call a potentially helpful prevention and wellness industry is when you're talking about women and you're marketing wellness to women, it's usually beauty. And it's usually something related to the incredibly damaging diet, beauty model, social media culture that we see today. And I think that that overlap and intersection has created this rise Mm. of junk science in an effort to prey on young women and just frankly the the cultural insecurities and beauty standards that are ingrained from us, I think from age five. Um, And so I do believe there are many practitioners in the healthcare space who are combining Eastern and Western medicine where there are proven methods and they are really listening to their patients and advocating for their wellness. And, and frankly, for prevention through continuous lifestyle changes, healthy eating, healthy diets, et cetera, the problem is it has been so conflated with beauty. Um, and that to me, I mean, to your exact point about, about the vaginal eggs, um, about you the know, steams? steams, there was a national steam that was yes, dangerous skin care products. All of these are really in an effort, um, not to improve health, but to improve beauty and appearance. And so, I think the important and again, that is its. Own level of paternalism.
0: Oh, absolutely. Women, they were not getting what they needed from the healthcare system, and so they turn to the internet. You search, "What can I do about this symptom?" My doctor said it's in my head, but I, you know, I know something's wrong. And they go to the internet and find something, someone that says they will solve the problem for them.
1: Exactly, and it's something that they can take into their own hands. Um, and and part of that is important, right? What we see today. Is consumers, people, women specifically, will be using their dollars to create their priorities for their health.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: we need to be sure that they have access to the healthcare choices that will actually help them. Mm-hmm. And so you see, if they can only vote with their dollars in areas of junk science, it is actually creating the exact opposite of consumer-directed, affordable healthcare with clinical backing, um, Mm -hmm. which is ultimately our goal. Um, And so I think it's actually uh, perpetuating a lot of these problems because you have some of these old school ways of uh, physicians practicing, that's creating the rise of problematic solutions instead of saying, how can we help create new models that, that people can access really high quality care. It gets back to why I, my entire life and purpose mission is how can we have technology-enabled care that scales affordably. It's why I joined the board of Headspace. It's why we have Everly Health. Our entire mission is digitally-enabled access to diagnostic testing and virtual care. I fundamentally believe that technology can create that access, but it has to be adopted by physicians and by healthcare practitioners as a new way for people to access these models. Because otherwise, we're just going to see this continuous dichotomy of junk science and then a closed off expensive medical system.
0: We'll be right back after the break. It seems like traditionally physicians have not wanted patients to have data about themselves because they are afraid that someone will have false worries or misinterpret the data. I mean, it's paternalistic, right? It's like you can't handle the data, so I'm not going to give it to you. Is that changing?
1: I think it is changing, and I'd I'd like to first reference one of my all-time favorite healthcare articles, which was in the New York times magazine. And it was five or six years ago. And it was about the invention and then eventual adoption of the at-home pregnancy test. And it was a woman scientist developed and created the at-home pregnancy test over a decade before it was ever adopted by physicians, because there was a belief that women would become hysterical and would not be able to handle this information in their home. And that they would commit self-harm, and that this absolutely could not be something we gave to women. And I very much feel that in a similar vein, understanding data about your own body um, has been that same model even decades later. You know, just to ground us again in some history, the first at-home HIV test was authorized in the early 90s and distributed on retail shelves in response to a public health crisis. But it is hard to imagine that if we want to apply a framework, a logic framework around what types of tests and information should people have about their own bodies, what I've just described are two very life-changing types of tests.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And, and, And certainly both of which require continuous and engaged medical partnership. And I think that we we forget how even something like the public health crisis around understanding HIV and AIDS um, really drove that Necessity of the at-home testing and making sure people had access to it, and so we apply these different frameworks that really don't make sense. So we're concerned about someone having access to an at-home cholesterol test, or to a vitamin D test, or to an STI test, and yet that hasn't been traditionally how our models have worked. And so, you know, I think there's so many examples of just how we think about um, what is ingrained in us and what we accept as fact. Versus uh, the evolution of science and how we've already adopted so many of these models. And, you know, I like to point back to um, even things like we trust people with the appropriate regulatory nutritional labels to drink as much Coca Cola as they would like, to eat as much processed food as they would like. And yes, there are requirements around disclosing what is in those foods. But I would also argue that there is actually much less harm to be done with a frequent test for someone with high cholesterol that, by the way, is cheaper than getting reimbursed through insurance that they're paying for themselves, yeah. it's not adding cost into the medical system, than some of these other uh, norms that we accept throughout society as people having agency to make decisions on.
0: Interesting. So on the, on the flip side of that, now that Everly Health has you know acquired PWN and now has a very large physician network behind it, What's next after testing? Because if we're able to normalize affordable Mm -hmm. at-home diagnostics, there's another piece of it, which is, okay, now that you have that data, what sort of action needs to be taken?
1: Yeah. And this has been in the past before Everly Well acquired PWN Health. And we've been working with them since we started. And, And PWN Health has traditionally been for many diagnostic companies- A virtual care network that's been able to ensure clinical rigor, support, and ultimately consults for people undertaking various types of testing. And what has really happened over the last five years is this has gone from being a, you know, hey, I took an STI test, I had an abnormal result, I was able to get a virtual consult and diagnosis and get handed off into the right, you know, provider, ongoing provider. Or get a prescription for chlamydia or gonorrhea as an example. We've offered that model for three or four years now, which by the way is still pretty novel in and of itself. But imagine being able to take that one episodic journey, which is a full end-to-end care journey, and apply that in an ecosystem of testing where you can have access to hundreds of tests. You can um have a digital pregnancy test. You can connect with a, connect with a provider. And our goal is that we really believe we are differentiated when you can start with a test result, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean you just get the test result and then you have to navigate your own journey. And that's why this creation of diagnostic driven modern virtual care is so important. It's grounded in testing, but it starts with testing. It doesn't end with testing. Yeah, and it's actually flipping the model on its head. Think about how much time people spend with doctors before they have test results, um, and then the testing is often like, "Oh, well, it's not what I thought it was," or "You know, I need more information." And so, um, our belief is that this enables everyone to have the right information at the start.
0: Yeah. Or how many times are, you know, my physician has told me to go get certain tests, but then that's like another trip to the lab. It's (laughs) You know, there's, there's an efficiency as well by having the test done at home, the results delivered virtually, the conversation. We live in a society where women are working. And so we don't have time to go to the physician three times for one data point.
1: It's an important point, though, because the percent of women working in the workforce and also of dual partner working parents, dual income working parents, has dramatically increased in the last two to three decades. And so the majority of family units have two working individuals. And so that creates an incredibly different dynamic around how you're managing. I mean, this gets into so many other issues around things like that. I know we've discussed before. Um, cause I have seven other podcasts on childcare on, you know, school models, et cetera. But, um, nonetheless, uh, it creates this real access issue. And so, you know, I, I used to get a lot of comments around, well, aren't you just taking lab testing and putting it online? And I was like, well, that's one simple way to talk about it, but let me tell you all the problems that I'm solving and the dismissal of that as being just a mm. little thing. Yeah. Um, maybe it should be easy to be honest with you. But in healthcare it's not. And it's also um, not normal to know what you're gonna pay up front to yeah. be able to not have to take time off work, to not have to go first get a piece of paper and then go into a lab where by the way they take your credit card and they put a hold on it for whatever yeah. your insurance doesn't cover. And you know, this what we have internalized as normal Waiting, in rooms. Add that to waiting the list. Rooms, Yeah, What we have internalized as normal is simply unacceptable. And, and, and by the way, in any other industry where people pay money for services, it is unacceptable. And yet here we've accepted it. And, you know, I get a lot of questions around things, this access question around, well, is this model increasing or decreasing healthcare equity? And, and I can share with you from our customers, um, we have a bimodal customer population. Our second most common group of customers tied with women managing their family's healthcare is people who are gig economy workers, contract workers who don't have insurance. Um, and there's over 30 million people who are under underinsured. And so the model here of delivery, test delivery models of care, I think is actually um, what's revolutionary here. And it may seem simple. Unfortunately, it's not. I wish it was.
0: Yeah. Well, you make it look easy, Julia. So that's <laughs> a compliment. <laughs> a, lot, a
1: lot of work behind the yeah. scenes. So a lot of people helping to, to make this happen.
0: Yeah. Personalized medicine is sometimes often really criticized as being the domain of wealthy consumers who want high-tech solutions to optimize for peak wellness. They're often called like the worried well. How can personalized medicine do just a better job of tackling issues for underrepresented and vulnerable populations of women?
1: I think this is such an important topic because um, as I just described, a po- portion of our population that, ha- that is, you know, this is really serving as part of their core healthcare if they're under, underinsured. We do often hear well, is your demographic the worried well that has disposable income to spend on these solutions? And I think when we think about the term personalized medicine, it's another term like digital health. Um, and frankly, a little bit like AI, artificial intelligence, or machine learning in healthcare, that I think has taken on a bit of a non-specific definition um, from what it was intended to be when some of the what I would say um, godparents of personalized medicine were really driving towards, call it a decade ago. And the goal is to say, okay, how can we help understand your genetics, understand? your data about your body, your health history, and ideally create lower cost of care and prevent issues before they happen by knowing more about an individual person and creating that plan. And I think it's become a bit of a biohacking type term. And I do think the next generation, if we can really stay true to the goals of what personalized medicine can do in American healthcare, is we should be able to democratize genetic testing in a way where you can take your genotype and phenotypic data. So if you can combine those and really say, well, are you predisposed to high cholesterol genetically? Should you actually be on a more frequent cholesterol test, which can help prevent heart disease and get you on a statin, or you can make dietary changes? That to me is personalized to the individual And yet has broad population health implications for one of the top killers in this country of heart disease. Um, And so I think if we can expand our definition and really go back to how do we think about creating these personalized care pathways, I do think genetics has a major role to play and how we build that into an everyday care plan for physicians. Um, I think would be super powerful. And it's something we're very bullish on, even though today we support genetic testing companies, we currently don't have that kind of a joint offering. And it's something I would love to explore in the future.
0: Yeah. Interesting. So we all face naysayers in healthcare. Um, I know you're you're not any different from that. So (laughs) tell me about really the biggest roadblock that you faced, if you can share.
1: Yeah, I mean, I will go back to my early fundraising experience because I think you made a really great point about how the companies usually founded and led by women around their own healthcare issues that they've had, um, trying to innovate in healthcare are rejected more often over the last decade because there is a lack of understanding of the problem in the venture capital space. And I cannot tell you the number of times I would either have outreach from investors that would say, someone on our team, on our support team mentioned that they used your product and they said it changed their life and we wanna talk to you. Um, And even with that kind of a referral, the message was always, I need to talk to my wife and see if this is a problem. I don't understand (laughs) because all of these tests are covered by insurance. Nobody has an access issue for this.
0: Yeah,
1: You know, I I was fortunate to be part of a conference a couple of weeks ago with the founder of Roe and myself, uh, both of us who are very bullish on consumer pay healthcare. And the moderator, Christy Farr, made a point about how five years ago Nobody would fund this. And I'm very proud of one having found the types of supporters and investors that we have who are so bullish on this opportunity and who believed in and saw the vision. Um, and now have really paved the way for both consumer-directed healthcare and for what I would think is so much improvement that we're seeing. I don't want to say an explosion because it still, you know, has a long way to go, of women's health companies getting backed. In meaningful ways. Mm-hmm. And we are half the population. And when anyone says we're a niche, I just find it to be potentially the most paternalistic of all comments, even unintentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I'm hopeful that going through that experience has really helped give rise towards others that will not have as hard of a time because it's yeah. so needed. We could have a hundred companies in women's health, we could have a thousand companies and wouldn't it be enough? There is so much opportunity, and there should and will be so many winners.
0: Yeah. I 100% agree. Where do you think the biggest areas and the biggest areas of unmet need lie today? You
1: know, we obviously have um, started around reproductive health and hormone health. We've made significant strategic investments in, obviously, a natalist um, and in our own women's health category around fertility But I will say, I do think fertility, while it needs more attention, I do feel like it is starting to be a hot area of investment. Mm. And so what I would really love to see um, is investment in more, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about segmenting men and women in this conversation. That, unfortunately, is the level that we are at. But if we talk about the LGBTQ plus community, if we talk about people of color and the outcomes in those communities... There is so much work to be done that I believe technology could really enable. Um, And so everything from um, rural communities that don't have as much access, um, underprivileged uh, populations, ignored populations, um, in addition to the broad category of women, these are not niches either um and yet we're still only talking about women half the population and there's there would be a real opportunity for founders to think about these other communities and building solutions that I believe can really get scale.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And as an angel investor now, what companies have you backed that you're excited about? In in women's health, I've um I've been
1: fortunate to oftentimes be on panels or get to talk to these amazing, um, founders in women's health. Um, one that I think I introduced you to Hallie was poppy seed health. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm really excited. Simone's an incredible founder. I was on a panel with her. That's how I met her. And she is democratizing access to, um, doula and midwifery care, through technology so that people can have access to this prenatal um, and postpartum care that can, we know, we know in non-U.S. countries that this improves maternal health outcomes. Um, The way that the U.S. operates in terms of prenatal and postpartum care is so radically different than I think almost any other um, developed country. And so being able to use technology to bring that in an accessible way um, to women, I think is super important. Um, so I'm, I'm super excited about that. I have a few others, but that's, that's top of mind for me right now. Awesome.
0: So what else is Everly Health doing to double down on women's health besides, um, our new partnership with Natalist? I know I was going to say we're, we're less than a
1: month (laughs) in and we just launched our first bundled product. We got it. It's pretty impressive pace. So, um, no, I think, um, you know, we had, started really as a women's health company. I mentioned we were first to market with an at-home collection fertility test. We were first to market with an at-home collection high-risk HPV test responsible for you know, 99% of eventual cervical cancers. But you know, I think we went broad because we had such a response from the broad population around what a problem this was. And yet people still want to be on a journey um, and meet people where they are in their Stage. And so we're really focused on going earlier in the reproductive health journey. So, sexual health, um, yeah. ensuring that um, women have a focused path in terms of how to think about and manage their sexual health. We think that's incredibly important to women's health care and is still stigmatized, um, especially for women, and is something that they should have access to, be affordable, and be able to get treated. Um, and then, you know, I think there is, and this is getting some venture capital attention, but there, there is a woeful underinvestment in um, perimenopause and postmenopause care. And so I, I think that is a little bit further off from us, but we are really focused on how do we build out these journeys for these ages and stages in women's health. And that's an area that you'll see us getting more comprehensive and building that entire virtual care model around over the next couple of years.
0: So exciting. (laughs) With you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, Julia, this was really fun. I'm sure I'll talk to you in an hour on Slack, but I'm glad we were able to have this conversation for our listeners. Um, A lot of really important things that we covered from women's health, not being a niche to these unmet needs that we're approaching and trying to solve for and how there's so much room for other founders and um, behalf of um, Julia, myself, the entire Everly Health team, we're excited to collaborate and partner with other brands that are have the same commitment to women's health. So thank you so much for joining us, Julia. Um, and thank you to everyone for tuning in. Thanks, Hallie. Super fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Heart of Healthcare. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on social, and tell all your friends to listen. The Heart of Healthcare is a product of Offscript Health.
1: We are a healthcare engagement company built for patients and caregivers by patients and caregivers. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producer is Brianna Seeley. Our intern is Antonella Sterniolo. Our host is Hallie Tecco. It is recorded, mixed, and edited by Brianna Seeley. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscript.com. No That's media at offscript.com. For more information, visit offscript.com.